0: If you got a Bible with you this morning, open with me, please, to the book of John chapter 4. And while you're looking for John 4, I want to read to you again from 2 Timothy 4, and we'll have it on the screen for you. 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. While you're looking for that, let me just tell you something. I got something to say about you and about the people of this church Y'all are about some of the sweetest people I've ever had the privilege of being around (laughs) in my life. You guys are some of the most generous, the kindest, most loving people we have ever been around. And we just wanted to let you know what an honor it is to be called here and to be a part of what the Lord's doing here. And we want to thank you for being a part of it, for being faithful. We love you. (laughs) We love you. And we love being pastors at this church. We love getting up on Sundays. We love spending this time with you. We love spending time in the word with you and we're not wasting time in here. Are we church? This isn't some habit. This isn't some tradition. You came this morning expecting to see, expecting to hear, expecting to get something good from God. And if you came with that expectation, I believe you're going to leave with that expectation filled and satisfied in Jesus name. Just want to let you know we love you. 2 Timothy chapter 4. You're looking for John 4. And again, this is in 2 Timothy 4. I want to read beginning in verse 6. Paul writing to Timothy said, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. This man of God could sense that his time here on earth was coming to an end. His ministry was coming to completion. And these are the words the Spirit of God spoke through him to talk about this season and this moment that he was in. He said, my life's being poured out like a drink offering. He said, the time of my departure is at hand. That's what death is, it's departure. And we touched on this a couple of weeks ago, but let me remind you of what the Lord was sharing with us about it. You've got to change the way you think about death. Death is just simply departure A lot of people think of it as the cessation you are ceasing to exist and that's not true all you're doing is departing and if you're a believer if Jesus is the Lord of your life you're departing here but you are arriving somewhere else somewhere else good somewhere else better glory to God you are departing this place heading for an arrival in heaven and eternity spent in the presence of God. And one thing you need to understand, whether it's talking about death uh, or, or the end of this life and going on into the next, or even just leaving one place and going to another. We're constantly in the midst of these departures and arrivals. Just a few days ago, we got on an airplane here in Colorado Springs and we departed. And we were headed for Dallas-Fort Worth, going to spend Thanksgiving with my family. We had a family wedding yesterday, sort of crammed it all into one one half week. Uh, But I noticed that when we left here, we were not yet in Dallas, but the further we got from here, the closer we got to there. And there comes a point where you get so far from where you started that you arrive at where you're headed and that same principle applies in life, whether you're, you're moving from one city to another or you're just doing traveling. Or if we're talking about things in the scheme of eternity, leaving one place, leaving this earth and this realm and headed to another one, all death is, is a departure. It's just a departure. And it happens every single day. And this is why Paul was using these words to frame what he was saying. The time of my departure is at hand. I'm getting further from this place. And as I get further from it, I'm getting closer to where I'm going. Now, you can't get all the way there until this body stops. But you can begin that departure in your heart. And I've seen people do it. I've seen people on a staff. I worked for my parents in their church and I saw this happen. It seemed like dozens of times when when people would begin to get a sense of moving on to the next thing or the next place, whether it was the Lord sending them there or they're being drawn away by something else. I watched that even if they were physically present in a place, their heart had departed. Their heart had left like an airplane taken off out of a city. And their heart was moving somewhere else. And even if they were still in that place physically, there was a departure that had already taken place and their body was just catching up. So that can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing. You've got to watch over that. This is one of the things we've talked to people about, people who've come and served with us. And and they tell us, okay, I think the Lord's moving us to somewhere else. And we say, okay, well, while you're here, make sure your heart's here. Because you can physically be present and your heart be in New York City. <laughs> your heart be somewhere else, East Coast, West Coast. you understand what I'm saying to you? But Paul, I believe, is what he's saying is, my heart, my heart has already left the station. Now my body's about to catch up, and the time of my departure is at hand. But I want you to notice the words in the next verse that he used to sum up his life and what he said here at the end of his life. And I want you and I to make this our aim. The time of his departure is at hand. And he said in verse seven, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. That's the way I want to be able to talk in the face of God Almighty. On my first day in eternity, I want to be able to look at him and with all honesty and genuineness say, Father, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. What a great summation of an entire life lived. Now, we'd all love to be able to say it, but like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, most people, if they were honest with God and honest with themselves, would not be able to say these things. Most people would have to say, I fought, but I fought poorly. I didn't fight good. Most people would have to say, I didn't finish the race. I I quit somewhere along the way. And many people would not be able to say, I kept my faith. There are many people that would have to, if they were honest, they'd have to say, yeah, I, I had some faith and I lost it somewhere along the way. But I'm determined I'm not saying that. Anybody else with me in this this morning? I am determined that the summation of my life on this earth, however many decades long it is, I will be able to say on my last day here and my first day there, I fought the good fight. I finished my race, bless God, and I kept my faith. Yeah, my enemy tried to take it from me through pressure and circumstance and challenge, but he couldn't have it. I'm like that running back holding on to that ball. Don't you try to take this ball from me. I kept my faith, I kept my faith holding on to it. Now, the reason we're talking about this, and I believe the Holy Spirit's leading us in this, because here we are once again at the tail end of yet another year, wrapping this one up and heading on into another one. And I believe that one of the things that honors God the most in our lives is when we finish, somebody say finish, Finish the race, finish the course, finish the work, finish the job that he gave us to do. I've come to realize, and we've talked about it before, but anybody can start something. Anybody can. You can start something, I can start something, anybody can start anything. And our tendency is to celebrate the start. And that's okay. That's fine. Starts are worth celebrating, but we make such a big deal out of them that we forget that the biggest thing to God is not the starting of something. It's the completing of it. It's the sticking with it all the way through when you had multiple opportunities to quit and give up. The thing that honors God the most is when you stay with it all the way to the finish. That is God honoring. I told you we were at a wedding this weekend and how many times have we seen this in culture that people make such a big deal out of the wedding. Oh my goodness. They spend tens of thousands of dollars. Some people do and the big fanfare that goes with the wedding and there's horses and carriages and white limousines and doves and you know, orchestras for many. Now, maybe not yours and certainly not ours, but many people do this, right? They make such a big deal out of what? The beginning, the start. And I'm not telling you that's wrong. The only thing that would make that wrong is if you get to the end of the wedding and you're like, oh, yeah, now I got to be married. (laughs) And there will be many, many, many opportunities to quit that race along the way. But what honors God most in a marriage? Your wedding or sticking with it, staying with it even when it was hard, even when it was challenging through the ups and downs and highs and lows, but you stood with it. You stuck, you stuck with him and with each other. That honors him. Glory to God. That's God honoring. So I began to say a moment ago, here we are at the end of this year and I'm looking back at January, which feels like it was about 15 minutes ago. And then we started strong. We had good words from the Lord about this year and the days that were ahead of us. And, and that's the way we ought to start. But how many of you think it's not just about finishing. It's also about how you finish the condition in which you finish. And I've already determined as for me and my house, I'm not going to go limping across the finish line of 2022. I'm not going to be dragging myself into the next year. I want to finish, yes, but I want to finish strong. And I believe that's a word from the Lord for this church. And I believe it has everything to do with what he's called us into in the coming year. And when I say us, I'm talking about this church and what we collectively put our hand to. But I'm also talking about you not just this house, your house. Don't go dragging yourself across this finish line. Your family needs to run with momentum and energy and excitement and enthusiasm. See, that was a good place to, to, to shout amen for you and the empty seat next to you. You can't just sit there when your pastor says enthusiasm and go, oh, yeah, that sounds good. Make that determination that you're crossing over the finish line with some excitement about you. And Paul, in other places, you know he had it. He talked about finishing his course with joy. That's what I'm talking to you about. Finishing with joy, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. So when he says, I finished with joy, what did he say? I finished strong. I didn't go dragging. I didn't go limping. I I wasn't dragging myself across that finish line. I wasn't begging for help. Man, I hit that tape with my chest out strong, and I went out with a shout, glory to God, with some joy, with some strength. Thank you, Lord. I want you to see this in John chapter four. We're gonna keep talking about this today and for the weeks that are in front of us. And this has everything to do with what the Lord began this year with when he said, I wanna go to work in you to perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. And it's taken us all year to get to that third one about being strong. But that's what we're talking about now is strength. And we began a couple of weeks ago Asking this question, where do we get the strength? Because it's one thing to say, yes, I want to be strong. We all want to be strong. We know that stronger is better, don't we? In every area of our lives, stronger is better. It's better to be stronger physically than it is weaker. It's better to be stronger mentally than weaker. It's better to be stronger relationally than weak in your relationship. It's better to be strong in your soul than weak in your soul. I'll give you one to shout about. It. It's better to be stronger financially than it is weaker financially. It actually takes some real bad religious teaching to make you think it's better to be weaker. It's not better to be weaker, it's better to be stronger. We know that, we believe that. Now the question comes where do we get the strength? If you want to run with strength and finish with strength, this year going into the next, you need to ask this question and answer it. Where am I going to get it? And this is what we began dealing with a couple of weeks ago. The psalmist said it like this. I would have lost heart. What's that mean? I would have quit. I would have quit running this race a long time ago if I hadn't believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then in the very next verse, he said, so wait. Wait upon the Lord and he will strengthen your heart. One of the first places we draw this strength from is what we've already done in service today in our waiting upon the Lord. And again, that's not this passive foot tapping, staring at the watch, telling God anytime now, God, anytime I'm ready. Just waiting on you. But that's, that's not what this waiting's about. That's not what this waiting's about. This waiting is about expectation it literally has to do with looking to him and expecting and the strength that you need beginning in your heart that manifests in the rest of your body and your life it comes from that time of waiting upon the Lord and the Bible said in the book of Isaiah he said have you not known have you not heard our God the everlasting God he does not grow weary neither does he faint he said, now young, young men, young people, they will faint. Even the people you look at and think, man, I wish I had that energy. We were with, like, like I said, my family and my aunt, my dad's sister, who I haven't seen in many years. She was observing our kids, Justice, 12 years old, Jesse, nine years old. My sister's kids, her, her, her daughters, all roughly in that same age. And my aunt was just watching them going, how do I bottle that energy? She she literally said it like this. How do I plug into them? And we've all wondered that as we've watched little ones and and people of youth and we think, man, where do you get that energy? Well, the Bible says, yeah, they got some energy, but even they grow weary, which I'm thankful for. (laughs) I'm glad that's not a 24-7 kind of thing. But even they grow weary, they faint. But he went on to say, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. He, God, this God who doesn't grow weary, He gives power. Somebody say power. power. He gives power to the faint. And He increases strength to who? Them that have no might. So not only is this, this God of ours just a, a marvel of unending power and, and endless strength and ability. He loves giving it away. He loves when you actually do plug into him. That sounds funny, but this is what the scripture says that we draw strength from our union with him. You see this, this phone, I keep this with me. It's got a timer on it. It doesn't seem to do me any good yet, but I'm working on that. But I know you're probably like me. You have a similar relationship with your phone. And I was going through this the other day, just, just looking at page one. And I've got you know several pages of apps here, but just page one. And I'm thinking, well, there's my calendar. Uh, there's my alarm clock. There's my financial records. There's all my, my Bibles and my translations. Uh, here's the app I use when Sarah can't find her phone. Uh, here's all my <laughs> travel... <laughs> I mean, just with page one, I'm looking at this thing a number of times a day. I know you are, too. We've come to the place where we're pretty dependent upon them. But have you figured out yet that as much as this thing does for you, probably at least once a day, it needs to plug in. It needs to plug in. It doesn't have an endless amount of power. So what does it do? You, you set it down, you let it rest, you plug it in, and through that plug, it begins to draw strength. And it's drawing strength out of that wall socket, which is drawing strength from those wires, which is drawing strength from you know who knows what else, all the way back to that power plant somewhere in town that's producing all of that power and all of that energy. This thing has to plug in. You have to plug in. Yeah. Your power comes from your union with Him. I can't set this thing somewhere near a plug. It doesn't do it. I I, I can't set it by the outlet. It's got to plug in to draw that strength. That's what waiting on the Lord is. It's drawing strength from your union with Him. Where does the strength come from? Well, the first place it comes from waiting upon the Lord. And this is one of the reasons most of us are tired because we don't feel like we got time to wait on the Lord. Now you're kind of quiet on that one. Am I telling the truth? I'm telling on myself, I'm telling on all of us, we've all been there. But you don't have time to not wait on the Lord. I want you to look at John chapter four and this is something else we talked about last week or two weeks ago. And if you missed that message, I encourage you to go back and get it, get caught up with this. But this is the account of Jesus at the well, ministering to the woman at this well. But there's some interesting details on either side of this account that I want you to make note of. It says in John chapter 4, in the beginning part of this chapter, Jesus was on a journey. He was uh, going from Judea to Galilee. He needed to go through Samaria. The Bible says in verse 5, He came through a, to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there. And notice these words. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. Jesus, being wearied from the journey... That's a, it's a little detail, but don't overlook it. We just read and quoted all these verses about our God who doesn't grow weary and doesn't faint. So it's kind of interesting to read that Jesus is tired. He's worn out. One translation literally says, wearied to the point of exhaustion. I know you've never been there, but Jesus, or maybe you have, huh? Wearied to the point of exhaustion. Would you think, well, I thought this God we were just shouting about was the one with all this energy and all this power. And he could walk without growing weary. He could run without fainting. This is just a little detail in the scripture that's here to remind you that what Jesus did on this earth, he did as a man. He emptied himself of his mighty weight and power. And he wrapped flesh around him. See, if Jesus had some some God-like unending supply of strength and he did what he did out of that, well, that would be fine, I guess, but he wouldn't be our example. You'd have to read of his life and say, okay, well, that was Jesus. What am I supposed to do? The Bible's just giving you this detail to remind you. Hey, do you get tired when you go on a long walk? Uh Uh-huh. Jesus did too. Wearied to the point of exhaustion. Now he sent his disciples into the city to buy food. And then this woman... Came and you know the whole conversation they had, and it was, it was an amazing conversation, and there was a word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and Jesus spoke to her and 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 revealed who he was, and and she runs off and she's gonna tell the whole town who he is. Meanwhile, the disciples come back, and I want you to see this down around verse 32. Well, back up verse 31, his disciples urged him, saying to him, Rabbi, eat. We know you're tired. We know you're exhausted, wearied to the point of exhaustion. You need to eat something. And Jesus said to them in verse 32, I've got food to eat of which you do not know. Huh. Verse 33, the disciples said to one another, "Uh, has somebody brought him something to eat? Isn't this interesting? He's so tired from this journey, exhausted, he can't go another step. And I don't know if you've ever felt like you've been there before, but you just can't take another step. You've been going and going and going and going. Yeah, you started strong, but it's 11 and a half months later. Somebody give me a break. And you just feel like I cannot go another step. Well, Jesus has been physically on a long journey, got so tired to the point of exhaustion that he said to the disciples, you guys are going to have to go. Y'all going to have to go get food and bring it back because I can't take another step. So they do that. They go and they bring food back. But now they're back trying to get him to eat. And what does he say? I've got food to eat that you don't even know about. And these guys, bless their hearts, look at each other and say, did somebody bring him something to eat? These guys had such a hard time getting out of the natural into the, into the spiritual. They had such a hard time getting out of the physical into the supernatural. And that's why they said, did somebody bring him something to eat? And I want you to notice here in verse 35 what his food was. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to, and to what? Finish the work. My food, he said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to Finish the work. This is what he ate. And it's what gave him energy. Because they're looking at him now, going, Man, what, an hour ago, you were so tired you couldn't take another step. Now you got all this energy. Did somebody bring him something to eat? I want you to think about this for a minute. What does food do? for a hungry body now it's no coincidence we're talking about this on the weekend after thanksgiving every single one of us i i dare say just experienced a lot of food well if your family's at all like ours i felt like we didn't eat a bite until like four o'clock in the afternoon and if you've ever had one of those days when you've gone all day without something to eat what does food do for a hungry body. Well, a number of things, honestly, I mean, medical science and dietitians and nutritionists, they tell us it's very clear what food does for the body and why the body needs it. But one of the big things food will do for you is it will energize you. You can come to the place if you haven't eaten anything and you hadn't eaten all day, you notice this, you get sluggish, You get tired, you get cranky, you get hangry. Anybody know what hangry is? So hungry, you're angry about it. You get so hungry and so desperate for something to eat that when you finally put something in there, it actually can energize this body. Food will energize you. Food, your body needs it to be sustained. You notice you are not still living today on the Thanksgiving meal you had six years ago. And even though you got done with that meal six years ago and you swore up and down, I am never eating again. Yet you got up about 45 minutes later and went and put everything back on that plate. You need it. You need it. Not just once, not just twice, but you need it every day. You need it multiple times a day. And that food that you're putting in there is what your body is using to convert to energy. And it's what's sustaining you. So food energizes you, food sustains you. And here's one food satisfies. I thought I'd get a lot more amens on that one. Amens for you and the person next to you, right? Food satisfies. You look back at when Jesus Fed the 5,000. The Bible says they ate till they were satisfied. Food has the ability to satisfy. Because there's a hunger on the inside. And hunger just represents vacancy. Represents an emptiness that needs to be satisfied. And when you feed yourself, that food is energizing you. That food is sustaining you. And that food is satisfying you. Now, there's a number of other things it does, but I want you to just think about these three. Because I believe what Jesus is telling his disciples and showing us is that what food does for the natural body, he found something that will do the same thing for your spirit. The ability that food, natural physical food, has to energize you, Jesus has found something that will energize you on the inside the ability that food has to sustain you and keep you going, Jesus is saying, I got something here you don't know about that is sustaining me. And not just that, he said, just the same way food has the ability to satisfy a a place of hunger on the inside, Jesus is saying, there's something that will do the same thing for you on the inside. It will energize, sustain, and satisfy and what was his food? He said, my food is to do his will and to finish the work. He is saying that the same ability that food has to, has to energize and sustain and satisfy you, doing the will of God for your life has the exact same ability energize you on the inside. Where does the strength come from? If you're not going to go limping across this finish line, you want to be strong, you're going to have to ask and answer this question, where do I get the strength? And this strength comes, number one, waiting upon the Lord. Number two, doing His will. And, Jesus said, finishing the work. Jesus was so singularly focused on doing the will of God and finishing the work. Isn't that that what Paul said? I've run the race. I finished the race. I finished the course. This is what Jesus had on his mind every waking moment of his life was doing the will of God and finishing the work God had given him to do. Now, I want to make a statement to you right here, and I think we'll have to wait till next week to really dig into it. But I began meditating on this question over this past week, past several weeks, really. And it's not something we think too much about. But have you ever stopped and asked yourself, how? How did Jesus change the world the way He did in such a short amount of time? He had what, three, just over three years of ministry on this earth. That is a very small window of time to turn the entire world upside down to the point where we're still talking about it 2,000 years later. And from that point to this one, billions of people have come to him and followed him. How did he, how did he set that in motion Not only do what he did while he was here, but make such a lasting impact that it is still changing the world today. How did he do that in such a short amount of time? I was asking the Lord that. Can I tell you what came up in my heart about it? Three words. You ready? No wasted time. None. No wasted time time. Jesus was so committed to the will of God and so committed to the finishing of the work that what would take all of us multiple lifetimes, he did in this small window of time. How'd he do it? Focus. No wasted time. So when you begin to understand that doing the will of God for your life has the same effect on you spiritually that eating a good meal has on you physically, it needs to make you ask this other question. If doing his will energizes you, sustains you, satisfies you, what does your life spent doing your own will do for you? Well, it's the very opposite. Waking up every day with you on your mind, waking up every day with nothing but what you want to do and the way you want to spend time and the way you want to spend money and the way you want to live life. It's such a trick because the thought is, man, that would be the life, right? I mean, there's not one person among us who hadn't had that thought. Man, if I could just do what I wanted to do every single day, if I didn't have other obligations, if I didn't have other responsibilities, and I just did what I wanted to do all day long, and I went where I wanted to go, and I spent what I wanted to spend, and I ate what I wanted to eat. And you just, that's not an amen place, Susanna. (laughs) Help a brother out. But there's not one of us who hadn't gone through that thought process and thought, man, that would be the life. But the truth is if doing the will of God energizes, sustains and satisfies, then doing your own will for your whole life does nothing but weaken and drain and leave you completely dissatisfied. You show me a person who's living for nothing but their own desire and their own passion and their own flesh's cry for whatever it wants. And I'll show you a person who is completely dissatisfied. Satisfaction comes from knowing the will of God and doing the will of God. Jesus said, that's my food. When they left him, he was wearied at the point of exhaustion. When they came back, It was as though he had had a good meal. Where'd you get this food? He's like, I got food you don't even know about. My food's to do the will of God and to finish the work. I want to look at just another scripture too about this. Go to 1 Peter chapter 4. In what Jesus said there in John chapter 4, this was not the only time and the only place he said it. Actually, he said these words over and over again. All you have to do is look to the next chapter. Chapter 5, Jesus said in verse 30, I can of myself do nothing as I hear I judge and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. John 6, 38, he said, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, let's look at this together. 1 Peter chapter 4, look at verse 1. He said, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now there's a lot of people that want to be quick to to connect the dots here between suffering and the flesh to sickness or disease, but this doesn't have anything to do with that. He tells you what the suffering of the flesh is. Verse 2, that he should no longer live the rest of his life or his time in the flesh for the lusts of men or the lust of the flesh, but for the will of God. That is the suffering of the flesh. Don't think that the suffering of the flesh is you suffering with sickness. Don't think that the suffering of the flesh is you suffering with some disease out of the pit of hell that Jesus died to redeem you from. The suffering of the flesh is so clear. It's right here. It's the suffering of not getting your own way. It's the suffering of not living to do your own will all the time. It's the suffering of bringing your will up under God's will and saying I want to do what you want done. Now he gives you a big key here. He says he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Wow this is revelation. You want to find out how to quit sinning? Here it is right here. It's do the will of God. It's, do, it's, get, it's get so addicted to the will of God. It's to crave the will of God like you crave your next meal. It's to want to know the will of God so bad and so strong in your life that, yeah, you get a little cranky when you don't know it. You get hangry for the will of God in your life. Yes. To know it and to do it. He who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. It says in verse 2, he should no longer live the rest of his life or his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Verse 3, for we have spent enough, somebody say "Enough." enough, we have spent enough of our past time in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, abominable idolatries, He says in verse four, in regard to these, they think it's strange that you don't run with them in the same flood of dissipation and they speak evil of you. People think it's strange that you don't wake up every day with you on your mind. That's a strange way of thinking to the rest of this world because all they know is to be self-centered. All they know is to be self-serving. But once again, You show me somebody who lives with self at the center, I will show you a completely dissatisfied person. Satisfaction is not, and does not come as the result of you just doing what you want all the time. It comes from knowing the will of God, doing the will of God and finishing the work. And yeah, people are gonna think you're strange. They want you to come party with them. They want you to come let loose with them. They want you to come do all the stuff that your old man used to love to do. And I don't mean old man like your dad. I mean the old, <laughs> the old person, the, the one that's dead and gone now. They don't understand you living for the will of God. But you know what? They can deal with it because the Bible goes on to say in verse 5. They're going to give an account. They are going to have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And for this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh. But we live according to God. And here's the key in the spirit. In the spirit. Thank you, Lord. When I'm talking to you about knowing and doing, following the will of God for your life, there is a broad sense that you can approach that in. God, what do you want me to do? What's my assignment? What's my work? Jesus had a job. I've got a job. Jesus was committed to finishing the work. I'm committed to finishing the work. And you can come at it from a broad sense, but the only way that gets accomplished is when you are finding out day by day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment, Lord, what do you want done here? How do you want this done? When do you want this done? Is it time to do this? How do you, when do you, what's the way you want it? And accomplishing and finishing the, the work, the assignment God has called and created you to do comes as the result of you and I committing ourselves to the will of God, moment by moment, day after day, after day, after day. The Bible said, put this on the screen for us, Psalm 143, verse eight. Go ahead, guys, begin to wrap this up. Psalm 143, verse eight. He said to me here, he said, cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning for in you do i trust now look at verse ten well no i'm sorry back up read the rest of verse eight he said cause me to know the way in which i should walk i lift up my soul to you cause me to hear your loving kindness and cause me to know the way i should walk now look at verse ten teach me to do your will People have made it so mysterious. They've come to believe that the plan of God, the will of God for mankind or for their lives is so unknowable, so unattainable. But it really is so simple that it comes as the result of a simple prayer like this. Lord, teach me to do your will. Just saying those words, it's acknowledging, I don't yet know, but I want you to teach me. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. I'm not my own God. You are my God. And I want you to notice here, what is the very next word he says? Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. So connected to this prayer, teach me to do your will, what does he say? Your spirit's good. The only way to know the will of God, to do the will of God, to finish the work that He's got for you, to be energized by it, sustained by it, satisfied by it, is to be led by the Spirit of God all day, every day. And to realize that day after day, you step up to a crossroads every single day. Maybe multiple times a day. And at that crossroads, you've got decisions to make. And the big decision you're making is, do do I go the way the Spirit of God is leading me? Or do I go the way my flesh is pressing me? Or you could say it like this. Do I follow God's will or my own? Now, Jesus, don't make the mistake in believing that that somehow this was all automatic for him that he just woke up with an automatic knowing of the will of God and an automatic energy to to do the will of God no we've already said it he had flesh wrapped around him just like you've got flesh wrapped around you and he had to seek the will of God just like you have got to seek the will of God he had to ask for it just like you have to ask for it. He had to commit himself to it the same way you have to commit yourself to it. And he had flesh. Jesus had flesh that he had to deny and yield himself to the will of God the same way that you and I have to do it. Now I'll give you this last scripture and it's from the book of Luke chapter 22. And this is just moments before Jesus goes to the cross. And he's in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. And he is crying out to the Father. And listen to what he says in verse 42 Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. But what did he say? Nevertheless, say these words with me not my will. Say those three words again not my will. Say it again. Not my will. Jesus had to say this. And if Jesus had to say this, guess who else does? You, me. He had to say, not my will, but yours be done. We know this moment that he was in, there was so much pressure on him. And it took so much strength to go through with the cross. And we know he did it, but the question is, where did he get that strength? I guarantee you this, Jesus would not have had the strength required to go through the cross if he hadn't spent every day of the last three years of his ministry, going back to the day he was 12 years old in the temple, saying, I have to be about my father's business. He spent day after day after day. This was not the first time he'd ever said, not my will. He spent the first 33 years of his life saying, not my will, 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 not my will. Where did he get the strength to step up to the cross? knowing full well the price that he was going to have to pay. And instead of running from it, he ran to it and persevered and endured and went through death, hell, and the grave and rose victorious over it. We shout and praise God over all that, but the question still remains, where did he get that strength? Well, now we know the answer. Every time you put your flesh down, and you commit yourself to doing the will of God, strength comes. Just like a big old Thanksgiving meal, strength comes, strength comes and energy comes. There's an energizing that comes from it. There's a sustaining that comes from it. Oh, I can keep going. I was wearied to the point of exhaustion, but man, I got a stirring on the inside of me now and now I've got some energy about me. Now, I've, now I'm sustained, now I'm strong and now I'm satisfied. Every time you put your will down and you embrace the will of God, a supernatural strengthening comes up on the inside of you. I can prove it to you from this very verse right here. He cried out, not my will, but yours be done. And then look at what it says in the very next verse. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. Glory to God. Now we look at this and think, oh, wow, wouldn't that be neat? Listen to me. The only thing that's happening here is Jesus is seeing into the realm of the spirit. This is happening not just for him, but for you. Every time you say to the father, not my will, but yours be done. You may not see it with these natural eyes, but I believe it with all my heart. Angels, angels are sent out on assignment. You don't see it. You don't feel it. But in your presence is an angel ministering strength to you. That's not real enough to us. I said that's not real enough to us. We know there are angels. We know we see it in the scripture. What do they do? We know different ones have different assignments, but I believe there are angels whose entire assignment is to minister strength to the people of God. The ones who will wake up and the first thing on their mind is what? Not my will, yours be done. Not my will, yours be done. Every time you say it, there's an angel. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY and any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you, and remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.